It's the Real Faith for Real Life podcast. We're answering your questions about God, the Christian faith, and the Bible. Today, how to take courage in the midst of failure and how to wholeheartedly accept God's will for us, even when it's scary or uncomfortable. But before we get into that, we always check in with the news because real faith does intersect with real life. So let's dive in. All right, joining me again today, it's Eric and JP. Hey, guys. Yo, what's up? What's up? Hi. So, interesting stories to discuss today. First up, uh, let's talk about chatting online. So, y'all have used AOL Instant Messenger or something like that? Yes. Can I ask what were your AOL Instant <laughs> Messenger handles? Yes. I, remember, no, I don't even know what mine I remember was. mine. What was yours? You, the news guy. Because I was uh, into broadcast journalism back in those days. Yeah. Mine was Bonsai Dude. I don't know why, but that's <laughs> what it was. Did you, did you pick a name like that for Gmail and it just you got stuck with it for the rest of your life? Or do you have a decent Gmail account? No, I have a good Gmail account. Hmm. I don't. Which I will not publicly share. I won't either. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so here's the story about chatting. There's this Chinese company... That, you know, they say you can't put a price on closure, but they are putting a price on closure because they've created a grief bot, a chat bot that emulates your dearly departed loved one using the technology behind ChatGPT. You basically give them some of your emails, text threads, and they upload all that into the cloud and recreate your loved one to chat with. Uh, pretty, pretty creepy. What do we think about this? Not a fan. I think it's uh, it's causing some problems with the grief process. I am not a counselor, as mentioned in the last session, but I will uh, tell you right now that there is uh, there should be a beginning to the grief process, probably a climax to the grief process, but then also a, a, a moment where you start to move past what has happened um, in order to continue with life well. And I think that this would hinder that. So people might hang on too long. The company says, hey, this is not that different. I mean, when photography was due at one point, and with photographs, you get to hang on to your loved one longer than maybe people in the rest of human history were able to. But photographs don't talk back to you. Well, yours don't. <laughs> Speak for yourself. No, just <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting Like um, to, to leap onto what you were talking about, Eric. So some of the available options like Hereafter and Replica, there are a lot of these apparently, uh, are pretty affordable. But there's one called Seance AI, which prefers a pay-per-session model instead of a monthly flat fee. They say to discourage people from using it for too long. Hmm. I think they just want to make money, but whatever. I tend to agree with Eric that... Uh, yeah, grieving. I don't know that this would be an aid to the grieving process, and it may cause undue psychological trauma or damage. Yeah. I don't know. What I do enjoy, though, is um, more innocuous uses of chat, emulating a person. So I was reading about this guy who asked ChatGPT to speak as if it is Steve Jobs. And then he'll run his business ideas by, and he'll be able to have a dialogue with Steve Jobs or Bill Gates or whoever. I'm like, man, that's a great idea. Now, what do you think, JP? You use ChatGPT quite a bit. 
I do, but it's more idea generation than actually yeah. like filtering and analyzing. So less a dialogue partner, less a relationship. Less discernment. I am not counting on chat GPT for discernment. Or, or emotional support. That either. Probably good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So our second story starts with the word Florida man. So you know it's going to be a good story. Always. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this. But this one is actually really deep. So Florida man asks schools to ban Bible following the state's efforts to remove books. So he claims this is a tongue-in-cheek petition just designed to make a point. The point is, hey, you guys are banning books just because they include some quote-unquote objectionable things or not kid-appropriate things, violence and sex. Well, hey, the Bible is also full of descriptions of violence and sex. So if you're going to be fair, you got to get the Bible out of there too. So interesting point. What What do we have to say to Florida, man? JP's giving me the eye like, Eric, <laughs> yeah. you better say something. Why don't you hit lead off on this one? <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, am going to lead with, with just the truth that I'm not sure how to engage it. And uh, I'm going to lead with that, knowing that we're coming up on some really hard questions as well, too. And that it's okay to not necessarily always have the answer as a, as a follower of Christ, but not then to just abandon the topic. So I want you to know I'll think about this, but I'm not 100% sure. I do know uh, a verse that I think is very important, um, and that is uh, this, the verse that says, The Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting, and training in righteousness. There is something good in there. For all people, even in the midst of those stories that are just totally kind of hard to process through, and God's Holy Spirit will do His good work to those who, who read it. Even if it's just striking curiosity and asking questions, all the way to somebody transformed by the Word of God into a deep, surrendered follower of Christ. I would not want to see the Bible, you know, uh, you know, dismissed or banned from schools. It should just be available as literature within in the library and that's I guess maybe that's my opinion that's what I would think with that yeah I think it's I think it's a really interesting thing uh, lawsuit petition I guess uh, that makes some valid points uh, and helps us see that I don't know if there are simple categories or flow charts that we can work through to figure out what is good and beneficial and what is maybe not good and not beneficial and so, I mean, I could see it from either perspective, you know, say, well, yeah, go ahead and ban it. But the fact of the matter is it's still up to Christians, uh, Christian parents and Christians in general to be willing to work their way through the Bible, especially the difficult parts with their children and help them understand why, you know, there is such violence in the Bible or why there are these descriptions of sexuality in the Bible, uh, because it's difficult to understand. I mean, it's difficult for us to understand as pastors and leaders in a church, uh, how much more for, you know, children. Uh, Again, not to say that it's bad, but it also means that, um, you know, we have to deepen our understanding uh, and really be willing to interact in a complex, nuanced way with scriptures that are meant to be complex and nuanced. Uh, So in that sense, I would say it's our responsibility to be walking our children through this anyway. So whether the library has it or not, as a Christian parent, I'm going to be walking them through this at home. Uh, So 
in that sense, I say, whatever, not a big deal. Um, in another sense, yeah, I resonate with what you say uh, because the Word of God is living and active. And even if it has difficult sections that are difficult to interpret, understand, uh, you know, having that in the hands of an unbeliever, uh, then God is totally able to work with that uh, and convince them of all truth. So, And I don't have anything to add. That was a tough one, and you guys did great. I, well, actually, I will add this. As a pastor, I view my chief, one of the chief things I'm called to is helping people learn to read the Bible correctly. And a big part of that is understanding genre, understanding that just a, a recording of something happening, a really bad and evil thing, is not an endorsement or a prescription or a command to do those things, but it can be a, a note of, hey, here's the sad chapter in human history. Here's what it looked like. Here was the outcome of that. Uh, and that says all the more our need for the gospel, our need for forgiveness, our need for grace and God's spirit to work within us to to do better than that. So yeah, all that to say what you just said, JP, it's, you, reading the Bible correctly does require some nuance. And uh, as Christians, we should really embrace our role as um, helping people find that nuance, that correct way to read it. Well, that was a tough question, and that was supposed to be part of the fun segment. It's got that yeah. fun music under it. You hear that fun music still going? Yeah. No. <laughs> it's, we added it's that in post, somewhere. so you just have to imagine <laughs> it now. But uh, but we're going to kill the fun music because it's time to get on to the really serious mm. questions. Your questions that you've submitted, and they're really good ones this week. So let's get after it. All right, here we go. Question number one. Put your thinking cap on. I see Eric doing it. He is, that's it. How can God judge us if all sin? How does he know whose relationship with him is good enough to go to heaven? This is a deep question that gets at the heart of the gospel and how a person is saved. I think behind this question is, hey, I mess up, you mess up, we all mess up. How can God judge us? That's kind of like one question. And then the second question within the question is, okay, so we are all messed up. We all fall short. It's our relationship with God that saves us. So how do we know if that relationship is strong enough or good enough to actually save us? How is a person saved? All right, who wants to go first? Um, I'll try to jump in on the judging side of stuff and r recognizing that, you know, how can God judge us if all of us sin? Whether all of us sin or some of us sin, God is still sinless. And hence being sinless, he cannot be in the presence of a sinner. And so there has to be some judgment on that. That, that perfect relationship that was once there in the garden was, was broken, and it's no longer there. Uh, and the goal is for us to go from garden to garden, from from being in perfect unity with God back to perfect unity with God. And until sin is erased, there has to be a judgment and a price that must be paid to, to cover the cost of that sin. And that's what Jesus is for. And so if you've never heard the gospel, it's that. God is perfect. We are not. Jesus creates a way for us to be in perfect unity with the Father through his death and his resurrection and the giving of the Spirit. And so there's something really good in that that we should look at God's judgment not as like, man, I'm just going to judge you and wreck you and destroy you. 
Yes, if you have sin, that's true. But how good and how uh, how much hope does it give us that there is a way through Jesus Christ? Um, and so we will be judged. We will all be judged for our sin. Um, and in in doing that, there is there is hope through Jesus Christ. I like how you started your answer there. It's like. Um... It reminds me of a student in a class who's failed a test, and he's like, well, everybody else failed the test, too. Or a person getting pulled over for speeding, and it's like, well, everybody else was speeding, too. And that excuse never works, right? And it doesn't work with God, either. God doesn't grade on a curve. It doesn't matter (laughs) that we all sin. The fact is, you're a sinner. And that's a huge problem, because God is holy. So God does have the right, as our creator, to expect certain things of us, to require our love, our obedience, our honoring of him. And uh, if any of us, or all of us, break that, then we're all liable to judgment. So JP, hop in here. Help us process the rest of this. No, I think, you know, uh, I've seen it as a student, you know, having been in the the entire math class, got this question wrong. How could you Mm. possibly take points off for it? Uh, But I can also see it from the perspective of the teacher going, but we went over this. Like, this is a basic requirement. Mm-hmm. And if you can't get this, then you're not going to get the other stuff mm-hmm. later. Um, so I think it's a question of perspective. I get where the person's coming from because I do that all the time in my spiritual life. Well, everybody kind of isn't good at this. So I guess it's probably not a big deal that I struggle with this too or whatever. Um, and I think that's totally the wrong perspective to come at it with because, you know, it's God's perspective that counts, which is. Yeah, when I created the world, it was not supposed to be like this. You were not supposed to be this selfish, this self-absorbed, and this destructive to yourself and the things around you. Um, And that's where I think it it really is a big deal, because that's what sin is, is it's not trusting God and his original design and creation and deciding to take matters into your own hands. And I think uh, for a lot of people, or for some people, uh, it's really evident, uh, and you hear that in testimonies when people share about getting into drug abuse or mm. you know sleeping around or you know doing this or that major sin. I think we've got our own list of cardinal sins, right? Uh, where it's like, oh wow, God saved you from that, you know, praise the Lord. Uh, but for people like me, I don't know if there is like huge stuff that everyone would be like, oh, he did that. But my life is a demonstration of me trying to make the decisions I think are right, sitting on the throne of my own life and doing as I see fit, which is actually the cry of judges, which is a horrible book, uh, because everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And sometimes it's yeah, minor stuff like, no, nah, I said a little white lie here because I thought that would be the best path to, you know, whatever, uh, versus like, oh, yeah, I killed someone because... You know, and in our minds, we're like, well, maybe I could rationalize the white lie. Probably can't rationalize killing someone. But all of it at the end of the day is sin because you are making the decision you feel is right rather than trusting God and his original design. If you were talking, I was like, uh, I bet people do rationalize killing. Yeah. You know, you rationalize the white lie, but. Everybody who makes a decision to sin, whether in a big or a small way, in the Mm -hmm. moment makes that decision, and it seems right to them in their own eyes, even the act of killing in some regard. Well, so can I tell a fun little story? I don't know if it's a fun little story. Wow, that's a weird transition. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. He's not as good at the segues as me yet. Oh, killing. Here's a fun story for you guys. 
<laughs> we, uh, my family and I, has gotten have gotten into this like true crime kick. Okay. Uh, and Netflix has like an endless supply of true crime documentaries and stuff. Uh, we stumbled into one called "I Am a Stalker," and every episode opens with somebody who is in prison for like felony stalking, hmm. and it opens on an interview with them, usually saying, "I'm not a stalker." Uh, <laughs> I just, and then they rationalize it. And then they say and then, that they were stalking. Yeah. yeah. And I guess if you judge me by the technical legal definition of a stalker, I am, but I wasn't stalking. I was just, I don't like it when people lie to me or, you know, something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, and then through the whole thing, you're like, oh my gosh, like, how did this person not realize this was so wrong and mm. so messed up? Mm-hmm. But they rationalize it, even though they're sitting in prison. Anyway. Wow. And, you know, I'm glad we've articulated so clearly uh, in our answers what the gospel is. And, you know, the second half of this question gets at a little bit of the anxiety of, um, okay, I'm saved by faith, but is my faith really strong enough? Do I have a good enough relationship with God? So it's almost throwing it back into the realm of works again. Am, Am I making faith a work? Am I trusting hard enough? Am I believing hard? Am I following well enough? And I've always heard a good answer to that is it's not perfect faith that saves, but it's faith in a perfect Savior that saves. Mm-hmm. And so faith is just this instrument this that connects us to the work of Christ and, and is how we benefit from what Christ has done for us. So it's good to examine your soul. You, we were talking earlier today about just thinking about how our relationship with God is. It could always be stronger, um, but there's no threshold. It's like, oh, well, 70%, now you're saved you know, 69% now you're not. Um, But you always want to be growing in your relationship with the Lord, not out of fear, but out of uh, love. I I hope that's a little bit of uh, nuance to answer that question. Good, great question. Very important question. Uh, Question number two, how can we find courage to take action after failure? So we're getting to some really deep heart questions today. Um, what, what do we think, man? After you've just failed utterly, or maybe even in a small way, how do you pick yourself up and, and keep going? Hmm. Boy, that's a good question. Um, I think that there's uh, honestly uh, a pretty large swath of people in the world, in the self-help realm, who will just tell you to get your gusto on mm-hmm. and pick yourself up and carry on. Like it's all your work, um, and the problem is when we when we fail, um, getting back up from a failure is just hard, right? I mean, like when I do something wrong, it, it's really tough to 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 kind of like reconcile what has happened mm. in that situation, and then somehow find myself in a better place. And I will try to fix it, but what's going to end up happening is I'm going to find the limit of myself. And so in the limit of myself, there will be a stopping point, but in an unlimited God, there can be so much healing and so much progress towards something new and something better. And so how do you go past a hard moment? Like, how do you go past a hard moment? I mean, I've got a bunch of tips for you I could share with you. Like, I really think a lot of it depends um, on how you surrender to God. Are you spending time in His Word? Are you kind of reconciling what has happened before before God, like literally before the throne of God? Are you meeting with other people who follow Christ and kind of uh, receiving some of their opinion as to what it means to carry forward? 
Um, but I guess I just want to say this, though, too. Uh, there's this verse that says, you know, enter through the narrow gate. Wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. The, the gate that leads to destruction, many enter through mm. it. And then small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, but only a few will find it. This is a big theological discussion that's talking about salvation and coming before God. But you can honestly narrow this teaching down to something else too. Like, listen, we're all going to mess up. We're going to find that wide road and, mm. and all of us are going to find destruction along the path too. Um, and I just want you to know that you're not alone in that. Like, you're not alone if if you've messed up. If you've sinned, you're not alone. I've sinned in my life. All of these guys around the table, we've all sinned. Um, and many other people will too. But our goal is then to kind of realign ourselves with this narrow road, this narrow path of living the way of Jesus um, and, and trusting that God's power is what will carry us forward and that not our own willpower, our own manpower behind it. Yeah, uh, I like that. That's good. Uh, trusting in God um, and looking for him to redeem it. And I think that would be kind of the the lines. I think there are two two different perspectives on this uh, that I want to bring out. The first is uh, often God will use our failure to uniquely prepare us for our future and our calling. Uh, as you read through the Bible, you see Moses and his experience uh, essentially as a prince of Egypt prepares him then to deal with Pharaoh when he comes back to deliver the Israelites. Uh, you can look at Saul and his failure in Phariseeism, uh, which led him actually to murdering Christians, uniquely prepares him to be one of the most influential writers of the, the New Testament. And so uh, a lot of times I think what we consider failure uh, God is actually using to prepare us for what he's calling us to. I like that. Uh, and I think, yeah, you look at it, God can also redeem your failure. So even if what you perceive to be failure, um, it doesn't mean that God's like, well, I can't do anything with that. You look at uh, Paul, right? New Testament, who is taking people's cloaks as Christians are murdered. Even in that moral failure of Paul, God uses that whole episode to strengthen the church. Uh, and I think even as you look through failure of people, person after person in the Bible, what you see is God's still able to pull uh, good things and blessing uh, out of the, the failure of people. And so uh, for me, it's kind of a, a two, two-pronged approach is as you fail, because we all will, uh, understand that God is uniquely preparing you through that failure and understand that even in the midst of failure, God is still so big and so powerful and amazing that your failure is still putty in his hands to do what he wants with. So, yeah. And the person that asked the question, I'd just uh, read Lamentations 3 over you. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness kind of gets at the infinite capacity of God to to forgive again and again and again. Often as humans, we think, well, Eric did it again. That's two strikes. That's three strikes. And pretty soon our patience with Eric runs out. Sorry to <laughs> use you as the example. All good. But uh, God tells us, you know, as Christians, we should be better about forgiving each other. Why? Because of the way he forgives us. And so if you've fallen down for the 99th time, get back up because he, he will forgive you for the 99th time and 100 and the 200th and on and on. 
Well, I think we're out of time for this episode. Uh, These are great questions, and I just want to thank everybody for submitting them. Keep on sending them our way. The season marches on next week, so we hope to see you again then. Take care, everybody. Bye.